Thank you so much, team, for leading us. And what a blessing just to uh, proclaim the name of Jesus. Um, because that, that is our focus. Our focus is Christ. That's what this walking through the Word together is all about. Keeping our focus on Christ. That as we walk through whatever it might be, that by God's grace we stay focused on Christ. And so if you've got your Bibles, if you'll join me in Colossians chapter 1. And uh, we are continuing our study through the book of Colossians. We're going to be walking through verses 15 through 19 this morning. And uh, in life, we answer all kinds of questions. Uh, this question early on was, okay, school's starting back. What time do we drop our kids off? And then uh, it was, what time do we uh, pick our kids up and have that awesome sanctifying experience of, of, of waiting to pick up kids, or uh, this week we are official, we got Mississippi license plates, which that was a big deal, so questions were, okay, what do we do to get a license plate, and tomorrow, pray for us, from what I hear, we are going to get our driver's licenses, so, uh, so we're just all about growing in Christ-likeness um, this week, sanctifying, right, uh, but, but not, we all know like all questions are not created equal. Okay, so for example, who you are going to marry is way different than what flavor Pop-Tart you are going to eat this morning as you get up and get going. Or, or what career path do, do I feel like the Lord is guiding me in? It's way different than I wonder what time I'm going to get up tomorrow. I mean, all questions are not created equal. And it's very possible that, that in this room that and those listening online have maybe at some point answered or, or asked two of what are maybe two of the biggest questions you can ask, and that is this. The question is, who am I and why am I here? I mean, think about it just for a moment. Who are you? Why are you here? Why are you here? Why do you have a pulse? Why do you exist? The passage that we walk through this morning in Colossians is going to answer those two questions, but it's going to answer those two questions by answering the biggest question. And the biggest question is, who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? Because when you know who Jesus is, He fills in literally all the other blanks. He fills in all the other blanks. A.W. Tozer said this. He said, what comes to our mind when we think about God is the most important thing about us. Life's greatest question is who is Jesus? And life's greatest action, action is our response to that answer. And so Paul is writing this letter, Colossians, to the church at Colossae. He is in Rome, many, many miles away. He is writing from a prison cell. And Epaphras was a Colossian, uh, saved, radically transformed believer in Jesus Christ, became a church planter, started a church there in Colossae. And, and he wanted to take word back to Paul about what was going on. And there was a lot of good things going on, a lot of great things. Matter of fact, uh, the, the, the Epaphras told Paul about their faith in Christ Jesus. He talked about their hope. He talked about their love for one another. He talked about how they're increasing. He talked about how they're bearing fruit. And then he also shared with them that there is a threat that is kind of pressing in on this young, thriving, growing church. This threat was primarily from kind of three major kind of, whether it's cults, false religions, that are, that are imposing themselves on the pure gospel. 
and they are trying to infiltrate the church to try to twist this pure gospel, the truth of the gospel, God's word. One of those groups was known as the Gnostics. And the Gnostics, their primary teaching, it was kind of all about knowledge and pursuing knowledge. And basically you reach this level of knowledge that, sorry, for most people you're just out of luck. You can't have a relationship with God unless you reach this this knowledge. But another thing that they felt or, or believed was the fact that everything material was evil and everything spirit was good. And so when they talk about Jesus or see Jesus, they would say that Jesus was less than God. That Jesus was less than God. That they challenged the godness of Christ. They challenged the deity of Christ. They felt that for Jesus, that he was better than some angels, but not maybe all angels. That he was just maybe a little bit better, had some divine power, but Jesus is not God. That They would say he's an emanation from God, which is a big word that I rarely ever use, okay? But it basically means that, that, that Christ was a created thing from another object. And this was, this was their heresy that they were trying to infiltrate the church with. And Paul is like, hold up, wait a second. He's like, hold on. So, so in this letter to the Colossians, the first two verses, he's greeting the church. The verses 3 through 8, he's thanking God for this young church. In verses 9 through 14, he's praying for this church. We talked about last, that last week. He's praying that they would be filled with the knowledge of God's will, which is through his word. And he was praying that they would walk in his continual glorious might, living in obedience. And now, Paul is kind of taking a turn in this letter and he's getting into the meat of the text. He's getting into the meat of the letter. And in this letter, four chapters, 95 verses, he has one purpose. And that purpose is to preach, teach, focus on the sufficiency and the supremacy of Jesus. The sufficiency and the supremacy of Jesus. Because if you look at false religions, cults, let me tell you it all breaks down. It all breaks down when you ask the question, who is Jesus? Because Only God's word has revealed to us the truth of who Jesus is. Jesus is not an emanation. He's not an angel. He wasn't just a good man. He wasn't a good moral teacher. Paul, under the divine inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is teaching us emphatically that Jesus is God and that Jesus is above all. It's what he's trying to teach us. He's trying to help us. J.B. Lightfoot says the doctrine of the person of Christ here in Colossians is stated with greater precision and fullness than in any other of St. Paul's epistles. That this is one of the most important statements about Christ in the whole New Testament. The whole Bible is about one person and about two events. The whole Bible is about Jesus. And it's about his first coming and it's about his second coming. And as my kids' Bible says, every book whispers His name. It's all about Him. This is why when the resurrected Christ is walking alongside these disciples on the road to Emmaus, that He says this to them, that He taught them. Luke 24 verse 27 says, And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, He, Jesus, interpreted to them all the scriptures and the things concerning Himself. The whole Bible, the whole thing is about Jesus. And so I want us to read together Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 through 19. And and today is all about 
understanding, being reminded and lifting up Jesus. And that Jesus is above all. And in these few verses, Paul is going to remind us why he is above all. And so the Bible says this. Colossians chapter 1 verse 15 through 19 says, He is the image of the invisible God. He is the firstborn of all creation, for by Him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through Him and for Him. And He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. And He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything He might be preeminent. For in Him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. Jesus is above all, number one, because Jesus is God. Jesus is God. He says, He, Christ, is the image of the invisible God in verse 15. That word there, image, means icon. It means an exact replica. All of us on our iPhones or, or whatever kind of phone you have, many of them have icons, right? And what do you do? That icon is a representation. And so what do you do? You click on that icon. And what happens when you click on that icon? It is all the understanding that you need to know about that is in that. And so Jesus is the icon of God. It is through a relationship with Christ that He allows us to understand who He is. And how amazing He is. How incredible that He is. He is the image of the invisible God. You say, well, hold on, aren't we created in His image too? Right? Genesis 1.27 God says He created us. In His image. He created us in the image of God. Male and female, He created them. But there's a big difference in being created in the image of God and being the image of God. The big difference is He is the image. He is the image. That unlike sinful man, Jesus is the perfect, absolutely accurate image of God. He did not become the image of God. He has always been the image of God. He is God for all eternity. Philippians 2 verse 6 says that who though, speaking of Christ, was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. In other words, He is the exact representation of God. And this is why Jesus could look at His disciples and say in John 14, He who has seen me has seen the Father. That in Christ the invisible God has become Visible Jesus in human flesh is the unanimous testimony of Scripture. And so He is the image of God. He is God, but also says the firstborn of all creation. Now, now some false religions, cults might say, see right there, see, Jesus was a created being. He's the firstborn of creation. But no, 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 like, look at the context. Look at what's happening and look at what firstborn means. Because in our minds, and our hearts, kind of, we automatically go to the firstborn. We go to chronological, right? We go to chronological. But context tells us that firstborn refers primarily to position and rank. And so you begin to read it completely different when you understand that. Because in the very next verse, he's going to say Christ created everything. So he's the firstborn of creation in Jewish and Greek culture. The firstborn would be the one who had the right of inheritance, not necessarily the firstborn. And so you look at Esau. Esau was born first. But Jacob, the firstborn, got the inheritance. 
In Exodus 4.22, Jeremiah 31.9, Israel was called God's firstborn. It wasn't because the nation of Israel was the very first people created. It's because they were the people of God's inheritance that they held first place in God's sight. Jesus is the one with the right to inheritance of all creation. He's the firstborn of all creation. Hebrews 1-2 says this, But in these last days He, God the Father, has spoken to us by His Son, Jesus Christ, whom He appointed, listen to this, the heir of all things, through whom He also created the world. Jesus is above all because Jesus is God. But we also see that Jesus is creator and sustainer. He's creator and he's sustainer. Verse 16 says this, For by him, Jesus Christ, for by him all things were created. By him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. Now, don't forget the context, right? Because you got the Gnostics, and they're kind of easing in there and trying to hijack the true gospel, the truth of who Jesus is. They're trying to, to take it, hijack it, twist it. And what they're saying is he's some emanation, he's some created from another thing. But no, what Paul says, is Paul saying Jesus is God, and he created all things. He created all things. He created all things. You ever just... Think about the universe, galaxy, and just be completely amazed at the handiwork of God. Now, I'm not a scientist, so I, I think you all could probably guess that, right? I, 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 but, but I'm amazed when I read things, I learn things about God's creation, and it just blows me away. So, so if just for a moment, can I just share a, a few cool, amazing facts about the handiwork of what Christ has done? What Christ has done, the sun, thankful for the sun. It came up again today, right? It's here. It's there. The sun, the sun has a diameter of 864,000 miles. That is a hundred times that of this little planet that we live on called Earth. The sun could hold about 1.3 million planets the size of the Earth inside of it. Incredible. The star Betelgeuse, and I don't even know if I'm saying that right. I want to say Betelgeuse, just because that, that movie from the 80s is stuck in my head. But, but the, the star Betelgeuse, I think is how you pronounce it. Betelgeuse, however. He has a diameter. It's a star, by the way. Star, its diameter is 100 million miles. So that is larger than the Earth's orbit around the sun. It's been described that the Milky Way galaxy that we are in is like a cul-de-sac in the universe. And in our little cul-de-sac, there are billions of stars. Hundreds of billions of stars. Astronomers, and how they, get, how they figure this, I have no idea. But astronomers say that there are as many stars in the universe as approximately 10 to the 25th power, which is basically like saying, if you take all the grains of sand in every beach in our entire earth, that that is a representation of the stars that our creator, Jesus Christ, has 
created. This is why we read Psalm 119, 1-4, and it says this, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaim His handiwork. Day to day He pours out speech, and night to night He reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world, and in them He has set a tent for the sun. The heavens declare the glory of God, and Jesus created them all. And the same Jesus who created all of this created you and I. You and I, the same one who created the billions and billions of stars, check this out, created the 30 trillion cells that is in the average human body. And of those 30 trillion cells, there are about 100 trillion atoms that make up each cell of those trillions in your body right now. That the same God who created everything created you. And the Bible says, Ephesians 2, he says, don't miss this. You are his workmanship. You are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus, because he's the creator, for good works which he prepared in advance that you would walk in. So if you're here today and you're feeling less than and you looked in the mirror and you're like, you know what, I don't really like what I see and I'm pretty discouraged. Let me encourage you. You are the handiwork of God. You are His workmanship and He created you in Christ for good work that He's prepared in advance that you would walk in. And so whether you are a school teacher or a middle school boy or a middle school girl or you're an artist or you have an affinity for running or, or, or paint, whatever. Like the whole purpose, remember the whole purpose is it answers two of biggest, life's biggest questions. You are created by God, you're created for God. Everything you do, whether you are a janitor, a lawyer, a school teacher, a stay-at-home mom, an engineer, a banker, whatever it is. God has created you. You're His workmanship. Who am I? You're created by the Creator of all things, Jesus Christ. And you're created for God. Everything you do is like a living mirror. And you point and you reflect back to Him, your Maker. That's what He's created. This has everything we need to know that we are made by God and we're made for God. So be encouraged today. If you kind of feel like you're in a rut and you're kind of spinning your wheels... Listen, keep your eyes on Jesus, the author, the perfecter of your faith, because he has created you and he's created you for a purpose and he wants to use you for his glory. Verse 17 says, and he is before all things. In other words, he is eternal. He has always been. John 1, 1, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God. The word was God. Jesus Christ is God, clothed in flesh, dwelt in among us. He's before all things and in him all things hold together. He is not just creator. He is sustainer. He's holding this whole thing together. He's holding this whole thing together. Let's jump back to the universe for a second. The earth is rotating on an axis. We're kind of cruising around the sun. And you know who's holding that and sustaining that in place? Jesus. Because he is the sustainer of all things. The fact that if our axis on earth, were to rotate either closer to the sun or further away from the sun, we would either burn up or we would freeze up. But he's holding it all together. This little clear liquid that we like to drink called water. It's an amazing thing. It's a gift. It's good. We all need to drink lots of water. It's a very healthy thing. 
Did you know that water is made up of two gases that God has created, hydrogen and oxygen? You put those together, what do you get? You get water. Jimmy Draper in his book, Portrait of Christ, says this. He says, hydrogen is combustible, oxygen supports combustion, put them together and we put out fires. But think for a minute that Jesus, what if Jesus decided not to hold the world together and all the water in the world reverted back to its natural state of hydrogen and oxygen and in a split second the world would explode and burn up because it would not be held together. It holds together because He is the foundation that holds all things together. And he holds together the billions of stars and the universe and the cul-de-sac that we live in. And he also, by his grace, through relationship, holds our lives together. He holds my emotions together. He holds my identity together. He holds my marriage together. He holds my family together. Everything I have that is held together is Jesus. <laughs> And I am always, I strive to be quick to say, if anything good happens, it's Jesus. It's Jesus. He's holding it all together, and He is our only hope. Jesus is God. Jesus is creator and sustainer. But another reason Jesus is above all is because He is the head of the church. In verse 18, He says, And He, Christ, is the head of the body, the church. The church. Not talking about the building. Talking about the people. The church. He uses all kinds of metaphors in the Bible to describe the church. He talks about us being a family. Love that. He talks about us being a kingdom, a flock, a building, a bride. But one of the most profound metaphors that he uses is a body. It's a body. You've got one. You're functioning in that right now, okay? And this is how Christ pictures us. The church is a living, breathing organism, moving, held together, sustained by the shed blood of Jesus... And He controls every part of it and gives it life and direction. Again, Paul is attacking the false teaching, the Gnostics that would say He's some angelic being that is serving the church. And Paul's saying, "Uh uh-uh, listen, Christ is the head of the church. He is the head of the church. And so, for us, that Christ is the head of the church, it challenges us because we need to be reminded That the church does not exist to serve me. The church exists to serve Him. The church does not exist to to take my agenda and my mission and and make sure my mission and my agenda are complete. No, the, 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 the truth here, Christ is the head. It is to serve Him and support His mission that He has for us as a church. So God help us never, ever, ever to make church about us. And I, I'm, I'm with it, like I'm, I'm here. I'm like, God, keep us humble, keep us sensitive, keep us hungry, keep us humble, focused on you, that everything we do, every decision that is made is because Christ is the head. Christ is the head. It's been said that anything with two heads is a monster, all right? So, so, so Christ is the head, right? Christ is the head. He goes on to say he's the beginning. There it is again. He's eternal. He's the beginning of the church. He's the source. He looked at Peter. He said, I will build my church. Built not on Peter, Peter's confession. Peter's confession was, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. On that rock, that confession, I will build my church. It is Christ who builds his church. It's his. And through his sacrificial death on the cross and resurrection, provides us new life in him. He's the beginning. He's eternal. He's the firstborn 
from the dead. Remember, we're not talking about chronologically. If you remember before Jesus was raised from the dead, he rose a couple other people from the dead. Jairus' daughter, Lazarus, okay? But what he's saying is he is first in rank. He's first in priority. The firstborn from among the dead. Of all of those who have been raised through his strength, he is highest rank. That it's because of what Jesus came, died on the cross, rescued us from the penalty of sin. Jesus makes right what we messed up. That our greatest enemy has been defeated in the cross. And when Jesus walked out of the grave, he was the first one to overcome death, sin, hell, and the grave. And that he offers that to us through relationship with him. He's the firstborn. He's the first in rank, highest in priority. The Bible says that in everything he might be preeminent. That word is used only here in the New Testament. And my, my conviction is that the reason that this is the only place in the New Testament you will see the word preeminent is because God was allowing us and trying to help us see this is the most important thing. Christ is preeminent. It means, guess what, to be first. I think he's trying to get a message to us, don't you? I think he's trying to help us understand He's trying to help us understand that he is to be first the most important thing. And so we must ask the question, is Christ, is Christ the most important person in our life? Is it around Christ that we organize our worlds and our schedules and our resources and how he has made us? That he is preeminent in all things. He is above all because he is God. He is above all because he is creator and sustainer. He is above all because he is the head of the church. Jesus is above all. He's above all. Colossians 1.19 says this. For in him, in him, Christ, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. Paul is summing it up right here. Remember those false teachers, the Gnostics? Jesus is less than God. They think he's a created being from a higher power and that there are multiples of these. And there's these emanations. And what happens is they all have a little bit of divine power. And what happens is that divine power is kind of sprinkled in through all these emanations and created beings in the spirit world. And what Paul is saying right here, he's like, no, 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 listen up. In Christ is the fullness. So in other words, it's not shared. All the fullness is with Christ. All the fullness of deity is not spread out. It completely rests in Him. The fullness of God was pleased to dwell. It means to reside permanently. It's all His. God does not share His glory. It's all His. God does not share His glory, His fame. It is all His. Lightfoot says this. He says, the fullness abides absolutely and wholly in Christ, the Word of God. And the fullness of Christ has been made available to us. This is why Jesus is above all. This is why Christ is above all. So as we wrap up this morning, I want to do one thing, kind of wrap up this way. But I want us to go back and I want to read this text one more time. And as I read, I want to... Uh, use the name of Jesus every time it says he. All right? Every time it says he, because he is Jesus. All right? And I want to read this, and I just want to put the name of Jesus in as we read verses 15 through 19 one more time. The Bible says this. It says he, okay, Jesus. Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by Jesus... 
all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through Jesus and for Jesus. And Jesus is before all things. And in Jesus, all things hold together. And Jesus is the head of the body, the church. Jesus is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. That in everything, Jesus might be preeminent. For in Jesus, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. Jesus is above all. And so... Jesus is, it's, it's a fact, it's absolute truth, nothing changes that. But the challenge is for us, for us, do we live in a way that recognizes that absolute truth? Do our, are our lives ordered around the truth that Jesus is preeminent? That Jesus is first in rank? That Jesus is first in priority? That we ask ourselves, is there an area of my life that Jesus Christ is not in first place? And I stand with you. A work in progress, or I've heard Pastor Charlie say, work in major progress. Wimp, right, right here. Work in progress. But by His grace, we lay out our lives. We lay out our occupations. We lay out our schedule. We lay out our plans. We lay out everything. And do we look at all of this and do we ask the question, does this reflect the fact that Jesus is above all? And that is the challenge of this text. And there will never be a shortage of voices that will not love to help you define who Jesus is. That would love to tell you what a great teacher he was. They would love to tell you what a good man he was and how he taught us love. No, listen, those things are, are true in part. But listen, in Christ, the fullness of deity dwells. Jesus is God. And this changes everything. Why am I here? I'm a created being His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which He prepared in advance that we would walk in. And we are created for God. Every single thing you do, no matter what it is, can be done to the glory of God. Last night, I had the opportunity to go to Memphis Union Mission. And I'm so thankful for that team who went and served there. And it was a blessing to be there. And uh, I had an opportunity to talk to Pastor Randy, who he's kind of one of the pastors there at the mission. And uh, he, he, I was talking, man, tell me your testimony, tell me your story. By the way, if we see each other cross passes and there's time, uh, I love to hear your testimony. I love to see hear how Jesus changed your life. I just, it just never gets old. And, uh, you know, he kind of, he basically said, like, there came this moment, he said, where he prayed a dangerous prayer. And I said, well, you know, he was like, I want to tell you what this dangerous prayer is. And he's like, it started with this dangerous prayer, which is this. He knew God wanted more. And he wasn't 100% sure what that was or what that looked like. But he said this. Here's the prayer. Jesus, I am available. I'm available. And he said it was that prayer out of a humble heart that set in motion the, the, the circumstances, the events. God works all things together for the good of those who love him, called according to his purpose. And here he is, and he is serving at the mission and But it all started with him acknowledging that Jesus is above all. And then he said, kind of blank check, 
you fill in the blanks. And he said, I'm available. And so not even that there are some areas of our life that we need to acknowledge that Jesus above all, but there is a calling on our life that calls us to being available to how He would want to use us for His glory and for His mission because in all things He is preeminent. He's God over all. So I want to pray for us. And, uh, and as we pray, I just want to thank God for this word. But uh, I just want to pray over us as we will have a time of response. Heavenly Father, I thank You for Your word. God, I thank You for this letter. I thank you for the clarity. I thank you for the absolute truth. I thank you, Father, that you loved us so much that, God, you raised up a Paul under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to write this letter to a church that was growing, that was thriving, strong faith in Christ, loved one another, they're bearing fruit, they're increasing, everything is going good, everything is going great, but yet there was a false teaching, cult, false religions trying to hijack the pure gospel. And God, anything that would say that you are not God or challenge your deity or authority is a false truth. And God, that that must be rejected. You are God. And so, Father, I thank you that in your eternal nature, God, that you clothed yourself in flesh the invisible God made visible and tabernacled among us, as your word says, walked among us. And that you loved us so much that you lived a life that we could never live. And Father, you died and were crucified on a cross to shed your blood for our sin. Because there was no other way that our sin could be justly paid for. And that you sacrificed yourself on the cross, shed blood for our sin. God, they took you off the cross and they placed you in a tomb and you rose from the dead. You're the firstborn from the dead. Highest rank, highest in priority. You are preeminent. You are God. And this is how much you loved us. So God, I pray that if there is anybody in this room or listening online that has never received you, as the Lord of their life, that they would do this in this time, God, that they would acknowledge their need for you, they would turn from their self and sin, and they would humble themselves and accept you as Lord of their lives. Because your word says that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. And Father, I pray, Father, for the believers in the room, the church, the body, that we would remember who the head is, and that we exist to serve you and that father god that there are some who maybe are feeling a little bit of restlessness maybe spinning the wheels a little bit but father that they would be encouraged in your word today keep you first follow you live yielded to you with all their heart and you are going to make their path straight and god you have created them for good works which you prepared in advance that they would walk in father i pray for that 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 person, those people who may be here and, and you're, you're loving Jesus, you're faithfully serving, but you know God is calling you to something more. And maybe you don't know what that is. But may we just simply pray, God, you are preeminent, you're first, and I'm available. And God, that you would lead 
guide, and direct. Father, in the name of Jesus, as we sing this song, God, may we reflect on you. May we give glory to you. And may you be honored. God, we love you. And we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.